This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. This programme is brought to you with the help of a DCC Waste Minimisation Grant, supporting Love Food, Hate Waste. Happy Tuesday and thanks for tuning in to our very first episode of Revolution Radio, hosted here on 105.4 OIR-FM by myself, Alexandria White, and my co-host, Duke McLeod. Today we are here to talk about the meaning behind this new broadcast and the message we want to convey to all of you, our wonderful audience. In future episodes, we will be interviewing different people from a wide range of backgrounds, but all sharing the same common denominator, a drive for revolutionizing our world for the better. In this first episode, however, we will be interviewing each other in hopes that you, dear listeners, can get to know us a bit better. Now, without further ado, let's get started. Alright, question time. Um, Alexi, I've got some questions for you so that the uh, listeners might get to know you a little bit better and see, um, yeah, where you're at about things. So I'll maybe start off with a simple question. Why did you decide to take over this radio show? I think it's really important for activists to get their voice out there as much as possible. Um, There's so many things that the mainstream media will say to counteract our causes. And so we really need to be the voice that stands up, especially when we stand up for the voiceless. So I saw this as an opportunity to do that. Fantastic. So um, what are you, what are you hoping to achieve with this radio show? And what are your dreams and aspirations for it? My dreams and aspirations. If you have um, any. So, yes, of course I've got some. Um, Let's hear it. So my dream for this radio show would be that everyone who was on the fence about activism or making a big change in their life for the better of the planet, the public health, and your own personal health, um, finds the courage and the knowledge to do so. Are we going to do like a fire round? Am I going to get to ask you some questions now? Should we do oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to go question by question? Sure. Yeah. 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 Let's do this. Let's All do right. It. So I've got my first one for you is how old were you when you first started to realize the act, what activism was and what motivated you to see that? I guess maybe, maybe school started it off because I was agitating at school. <laughs> I was, I was with my best friend known as, as the communists at school. And uh, <laughs> we're constantly challenging um, teachers and especially in our political studies. And I uh, just started, you know, promoting um, alternative worldviews there and then um, took the step to do that outside of school too, I guess, talking with our friends first and then um, on the street with people. Um, so kind of quite an organic, you know, progression into, into activism and um, ended up forming our own youth group a couple of years later. Um, 
where we would have hold like regular meetings and organize stuff and protests and join with other groups to to do stuff and yeah i was also um quite young uh, uh, when i was first elected or put myself up for election to this um i'm from berlin uh, and there's this little districts within the suburbs where there's um bodies uh, elected bodies who kind of run um, um how to best put it uh, there's funds from the from the from the local municipality and these little councils kind of decide which kind of social project gets gets the money and um yeah when i learned about that i was quite keen to get involved with that so uh, i saw that as an opportunity to you know how about some uh, projects that i liked or just to get some knowledge of you know the political mechanisms and maybe that counts for some activism as well or depending on your stance on activism <laughs> if it's in the system or not um yeah so these are my early experiences and yeah just went right through i guess up, up until the state i had a bit of a phase um in my late 20s um you know i'm in my 30s now um where i went a bit quiet on political activism um um after i got like injured at a protest and um uh took a while to bounce back from that um i was i was feeling really insecure after that one um i had <laughs> i had a whole bunch of cops jumping on me and handling me and uh you know yeah i'm still getting all all uh, weird in my body when i think about that situation it was yeah very unpleasant um but besides that i'm back fully into activism i guess since recently and a bit more the last few years um and yeah activism is, is great it's a lifestyle i think it's a commitment to live your values out in the world be it like as i did just have conversations with friends or in the school or wherever you are just you know share share your heart share your mind if if, if you think there's something wrong then make yourself heard <laughs> yeah hmm. Wow, yeah, I guess that kind of flows into my next question as well. How activism has shaped your life since then? But that's that's pretty crazy. I've never been in a protest that has resulted in violence, thankfully. I have wow. been in a few protests. Um, yeah. One in out with me was a protest by the Aboriginal people to get their children back. Um, because they're still doing, you know, the stolen generation thing over there, even though <clears throat> they try to hide it. It's still going on. Yeah. And I'm really, really happy that none of that turned violent because the violence and the oppression that I already heard from stories of the police coming into their territories, that was enough. Um, so, yeah, I really can empathize with you being scared afterwards to mm. 
participate again because even by hearing violent stories and seeing the violence I grew up with in the United States was enough to really kind of get me into the activism side that you were talking about in systems. So yeah, I, I totally think that activism can still be systematic because mm. thankfully in today's age, we're going through this huge change and upheaval of humanity and people are realizing that we have systems all around us that we need to infiltrate and yeah. that we can improve and um, yeah. even stuff like this, you know, the internet. It's a system. It's a huge global system that we are utilizing in a different way. Yeah. So I guess my my next question was, how has activism changed your life since then? But it seems like it's shaped your life entirely. <laughs> I guess <laughs> like so. You can stand, <laughs> activism for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. It's 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 um. Actually, also, when I had my quiet years, um, I still found ways to, you know, challenge that channel, that activist sort of energy. Um, I was like working, volunteering for a few years with this um, vegan vegetarian food outlet run by the Hare Krishnas in Dunedin, uh, providing very, very, very affordable and absolutely delicious food to students and, and other people of low income. And I think that was a really great way to, you know, keep doing what I, what I feel like I can do from a safe space. And obviously providing food to other people is, you know, uh, maybe even a foundation for, for activism for other people, you know, who can come in and replenish their, themselves and lots of people do come in and, you know, there's hundreds of people every day who used to come and not all of them activists, but some of them for the first time having a vegan meal or vegetarian or just like it, it will be the only vegan meal in the week. And so that was a great way to actually, you know, still do something uh, very valuable and, yeah, you know, it's funny that you say um, growing food for other people has shaped your life. I feel like that's been the biggest part of my activism and mm. something that has concretely shaped my life. When I was in the Peace Corps and working with the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN, we collaborated and my sole project became feeding communities and, wow. and you know, developing businesses out of feeding communities but you know developing businesses for the locals of course um and so they didn't have to export everything that they they created that was nutritional like before that the kids didn't even have vegetables in their schools you know they would just be exporting everything that they produced there was no locally owned farms it was all just conglomerate big factory farms that owned most of the land and we took whatever land we could from um, public donations, thankfully. Yeah. And yeah, we started feeding the community. And now I feel like, you know, as an activist, that's the main goal I have is teaching people how to provide nutrition for themselves. Yeah. In meaningful ways, you know, gardening can be so, so liberating. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's, that's where it goes back to the whole vegan and plant-based thing, you know, where we consciously choose to uh, nurture life instead of 
destroying life to this sustain ourselves um as in the meat and dairy industry which is just based on you know abuse and destruction of life um yeah whereas in the plant-based world we we stand ourselves from growing life and nurturing life and um yeah i i love that very much yeah i agree mm. Um, it always kills me too when people say, yeah, but plants have feelings and, you know, you kill a fruit and it's like, okay, well, you've never raised a plant in your life then if you think that's the case. <laughs> like, yeah. You, know, you don't pick an apple from a tree and it kills the entire tree. That's not the way it works. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You have another uh, round of questions for me before we get yeah. off on the tangents that we will surely get off on. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. You you ventured a little bit into that already. Um, but here we go. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, you're from the United States of America and you moved to Dunedin just recently, sort of recently-ish. And uh, what brings you here and how was your life before that in, in the US and what did you get up to in the meantime? Um, so I actually haven't lived in the United States since 2014 right. um, when I was an undergraduate at the time. And at that age, I was 22 years old and I was thinking, you know, I really need to see the rest of the world. I've spent 22 whole years in the United States in one single country. Um, <clears throat> my previous degree was focused on global and international studies, specifically economics and business. And so I was, you know, thinking if I use my degree, it's going to take me elsewhere. And I need to embrace that change and embrace that insecurity. So pretty much when I went to go study in Spain, I did my last two semesters abroad in Spain and Greece and told my family and all my friends, yeah, I'll be back after the semester. Deep down, I knew I wasn't going to come back. Um, I was just too afraid to say it at the time. But it was the best thing that shaped my life and where I am today, I think, was deciding to leave home and really understand what it was like to travel the world by myself and find myself. I mean, that's on, obviously an ongoing process every day. Mm. But in the meantime, it looked like after I graduated, I did a lot of volunteer work. So I worked a lot with teaching English to different non-native speakers, started that in Europe. Um, and then once my visa ran out, I was like, ah, oh, well, I don't want to be a criminal. I don't want to start on that path just yet. <laughs> <laughs> just yet. <laughs> um, so let's go to Asia. And so, yeah, I did a bit of traveling around Southeast Asia, a little bit more teaching English. I found certain things about the culture to be overwhelmingly blissful. Um, Unfortunately, there were some other things about the culture that I couldn't quite handle at that time in my life. Um, a lot to do with toxic masculinity and mm. inappropriate touching mm. without ever giving consent. Um, something that happened on a very regular basis to me and almost every woman I knew that was traveling around that area. Uh, so one incident happened and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go to Australia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then 
I ended up working on the Great Barrier Reef and learning how to sail. And that was one of the also last minute decisions that changed my life for the better. That really got me interested in in the ocean. Growing up in the the Midwest, I was surrounded by fresh water, you know, which is great. Um, But it doesn't host the biodiversity that we see, especially in the Great Barrier Reef, you know, or the oceanic realm of the Pacific. Uh, After that, I decided to join the Peace Corps. And I think I really brought along this newfound passion to live sustainably and to teach um, in a different way. So I was teaching a lot about how people can change their diets, they can change their, their living habits, and how everything that they do has a ripple effect all the way out to the ocean, um, all the way from the mountains to the mar, montaña de mar, you know, that's the, the phrase that they had there, all the way from the mountaintop goes all the way down to the sea. Yeah. And we have to remember that, especially living in an island like New Zealand where everything is connected so, so closely. So yeah, after I was in the Peace Corps, I bought a sailboat. Yeah. And I lived on that for about a year and a half, almost two years, um, just sailing from the northeast coast of the United States down to the Grenadines, which are just a couple hundred miles off of Venezuela. Um, sadly, I went through like a, a early divorce-ish breakup. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Not married, but like it felt like it. Yeah. And, uh, right. Yeah. I was the, on the boat. So I was it. I lost the boat. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I pretty much gave it up. Honestly, it wasn't worth the hassle. And I knew she couldn't cross the Pacific. And my sister was over here. So, you know, I just turned the page, started a new chapter. And that's where I am now. I, um, I'm in Dunedin. And I got here because, long story short, I was working at Cardona over the winter mm. just for a fun job. Broke my arm, had to lay in bed for two weeks. Then I reconciled my living decisions and decided I want to go back to school. So now yeah. I just graduated my diploma my graduate diploma in oceanography. Nice. Mm, yeah. Wow. What a journey. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> summed up about eight years into wow. oh, nine years into minutes. <laughs> well done. Well done for that journey. Well done for summing it up in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Eva? You have a young daughter. Yes. And- If you plan to stay in Aotearoa, what kind of country would you imagine her to have in the future? And what would you like her to have? Wow. Um, Like realistic scenarios or just like visionary scenarios or a bit of both? A bit of both. A bit of both. Okay. Visionary scenarios. Um, I would like to see Aotearoa transition to a plant-based economy. Um sustainable you know cold free etc um with an amazing recycling apparatus and waste minimization um where we can recycle pretty much most of of our uh, packaging etc 
and where we have legislation that kind of rules out lots of packaging you know there's already technology available to replace most of the plastic packaging so um, i'm wondering it's like okay why are we not doing that already <laughs> you know there's bottles from hemp and plastic bags made from hemp and this and that and just like woohoo we banned straws wow that's like yeah. point 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 zero zero percent of all plastic rubbish right so let's let <laughs> yeah, I want to see, oh, yeah, a country and society that fully embraces that journey and fully embraces that transition that we need to freaking stay alive as a, not only as a nation, but also as members of a, you know, global community uh, where we take up our responsibility and our spot in this world, um, where we use our, you know, privileges and resources and, um, you know, contribute um, to that change. Um, yes, so much for the realistic bit. So let's go to visionary. Oh no, wait, was that the vision? That was the vision. <laughs> <laughs> <Not realistic. laughs> no, that was the realistic. At least I hope that was the vision. <laughs> I wish it was realistic as well. But I think it is realistic, actually, to be completely true. Um, you know, we'll, we'll take time, we'll take effort, we'll take sweat, we'll take tears, we'll take, well, figuratively speaking, blood. Um, but yeah, the change is already on the way. We have the old factory coming to Southland. That's going to be like a major boost for change. Um, you know, we have a sort of, well, for lack of better word, progressive-ishly government at the moment that is doing some things in the right direction, um, or at least encouraging others to go more into that direction. You know, now is the time to push for change. Uh, and um, yeah, country to grow up, you know, as, as, as a father of a girl, especially, you know, uh, a country that takes, you know, sexualized violence very serious and, you know, creates, a, you know, safety and creates, you know, I don't know if that needs a policy framework or just like education, probably all of it, you know, where, you know, what you've experienced in, in, in Southeast Asia, you know, it's just not, not happening, you know, um, to that degree or at all, you know, I mean, that's a big issue here as well. Maybe it's more hidden or something uh, in, in, in the houses rather than on the street. Or, but um, yeah, it's, it's a ginormous issue here too. And I would like her to grow up feeling safe. And, you know, oh, that's one of my main concerns in life, actually, um, to raise her as, as a, you know, fierce and strong and you know self-confident um person and enable her to express herself you know without having to cush around others and this and that um yeah um gosh another completely unrelated or maybe related point just comes into my mind when i think about you know that question that you asked about you know what kind of 
place I want to live in. Um, ditch the monarchy, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, say thank you and goodbye to the queen as, as our, you know, <laughs> lady in command. Even though people say, oh, this only statutory is like, no, <laughs> you know, it's real. It's legal and it's real. And our governor general is appointed by her. And the governor general needs to appoint the prime minister. And if they not do that and, you know, sign off on some legislation. So let's not just do like wave that off and say that's nothing. Um, so yeah, embrace the republic, you know, as a, as a political form, um, have lots of communities, self-sustaining communities, um, more egalitarianism, um, people just watching out at each other, uh, for each other. And yeah, uh, plant-based living on the, on the go. Yeah. Mm. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today's episode, but as a friendly reminder, we'd like to leave you all with, since we are sponsored by DCC Waste Management, is to reduce, reuse, and recycle. And if you haven't done so already, start composting your natural green materials. So any vegetables, fruits, or organic waste that you have, Put it into a compost bin. Start regenerating soil for yourself and the earth and the future will thank you for it. Did you like this first broadcast? What do you want to see more of? We want to hear more from you. So stay tuned for next week's episode at 10. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, stay healthy, friends. One love. Thanks for joining This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.